may be seated. The text for the sermon this morning comes from Genesis chapter 3. Last Sunday we considered Genesis 2 and the divine institution of marriage. In Genesis 3, we really consider the fall of marriage into sin. So let's hear God's word this morning as we find it in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he, heard, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you? That you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field and the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. 
So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Last week as we began this series on marriage, you saw what a wonderful institution marriage is to be. Companionship between husband and wife is to be a joyful, life-giving, and intimate communion between man and woman. As a husband fulfills his role to lead his, his wife and to love her, he would be a true companion to her. And likewise, as a woman fulfilled her role to be a helper to her husband, being submissive to him, she would be a true companion to him. In their love and devotion to one another, they would become one flesh. We all know that is often not what happens. Marriages become breeding grounds for relational sin. Instead of loving their wives, husbands grow to resent their wives because of their faults. They can become bitter towards them and sometimes even hate them with a hatred they would not even have for their enemies. Instead of loving their wives, husbands are unfaithful to them, either desiring or actively seeking the companionship of others. Rather than viewing their wives as their equal, husbands can dominate them and treat them like property. Or else they worship their wives with an idolatrous love that places the wife in the position of God. Rather than lead according to the will of God, they lead according to the will of their wife. On the other hand, instead of submitting to their husbands, wives grow to resent them for their faults. They can stubbornly refuse to show respect or love towards their husbands unless they earn it. Instead of being helpers, they can hinder the work of their husbands by taking more interest in other friendships, by putting their husbands down and mocking them for their faults, or by abusing the means he has provided for her. Wives can seek to control their husbands to make them conform to their wishes rather than the wishes of their Creator. Or they neglect their calling to be his helper by giving him unchallenged opportunity to cruelly rule over her. The question that must be asked is, how and when did this beautiful institution become so heinously corrupted? Why is it that marriages can either be one of the most beautiful and selfless expressions of sacrificial love, or on the other hand, be most egregious and express self-love and selfishness. Why is it that there can be both of these things? And this might be a very intimate and personal question for you. Perhaps you once loved your spouse with a love that could not see any fault whatsoever. You walked on air, as it were, as you courted your spouse You're blind to any concerns, any issues. You fully gave yourself in love and devotion. You were dreamy-eyed. 
But all that came crashing down when you realized that your spouse was not perfect and was a sinner just like you. Why has this happened? Why does this happen? Well, we find the answer to those questions in our text. Marriage is not what it is supposed to be. Marriage is not what God instituted it to be because of the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. Ever since Adam ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, humanity has been plunged into sin and death. Through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. If you want to know the cause of trouble in your marriage, you need look no further than your own sinful self. Far too often couples think the problem with their marriage is their spouse. They are so busy pointing the finger at the other that they become blind to their own sin, or else they downplay their own sin. I'm not necessarily here speaking of abusive relationships. There are many different dynamics at play in an abusive relationship, such as the vast majority of the problem. There is indeed the other spouse, but in the average relationship, there's a great need to look at self and to experientially understand that self is the chief of sinners. In Genesis 3, we find the distressing reality about sin coming into God's perfect creation. Sin in general, and sin in our marriages. And from our text, we will see that there is no hope to be found in self when it comes to this sin. But the only hope is to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll see that sin in marriage necessitates the gospel. One of the means that the devil used to cause Adam and Eve to fall into sin was circumventing their God-given roles. In the temptation, Adam and Eve neglected their God-given roles as husband and wife. And this temptation continues today in many different ways. Adam had been charged by God as the one who was created first to lead and guide his wife, to love and protect her. It was God who commanded the man of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat you shall surely die. The text indicates that this command came solely to Adam. And it was his duty to instruct his wife in this. It was his chief duty to ensure that they, as a family unit, kept this command, kept this covenant of works. But the serpent knew this. And so instead of of confronting Adam, who was the head, he confronted Eve and got her to speak on behalf of the family. When he asked the question, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He spoke in the plural. He spoke of both Adam and Eve in the plural, you. And Eve took upon herself the role of Adam, speaking for both her and Adam. She said, we may eat. Adam should have been the one to speak and confront the serpent. He, after all, 
as we will see in a moment, was there with Eve during this temptation. Yet he neglected this role. And so the serpent found ready opportunity to deceive Eve. Now, the deception of Eve did not find itself in the woman being less spiritually mature or, or capable than the man. Scripture records many women who are just as spiritually mature and capable as a man. Remember what we saw last week. They are of the same human nature. They are together human. Instead, this deception occurred and, and was particularly uh, deadly to the woman because of the departure from the God-given roles assigned to husband and wife. It was a breach of the created order. Adam's neglect of the role of leadership led to Eve distorting the word of God. We see this in her response to the servant's question. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. That evidently was not the original command. God had just commanded that they not eat of the tree. He said nothing about them touching the tree. Here Eve added to God's command. And in Eve adding to God's command, she was adding to the command of her husband. She was not submitting herself to his leadership. Instead, she added to his instruction. And she added to it because the servant directly attacked the goodness of God in his word. God had said in Genesis 2, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. God's emphasis was on the bounty and the freedom that they had in the garden. But the serpent turned that on its head. And said, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? The servant makes God seem unjust and cruel, restrictive and maniacal. And making God seem this way, the servant made it seem like Adam's instruction was also cruel and binding. And Eve was deceived by this subtle temptation of the devil and so added, we may not even touch the tree in an attempt to side with the devil and showing the potential injustice of the command. After all, what harm is there in touching this tree? As soon as the serpent had won that point, he could suddenly directly deny the warning of God and say, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Eve, because of the lack of faith in God and lack of trust in her husband, suddenly looked upon the fruit of the tree as something good to eat. We read, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. Eve no longer saw the word of God as good. She no longer saw the word of her husband as something good. In her unbelief, 
She produced a covetous desire, and that desire led to the sinful action of eating the fruits. Her sinful desire produced sinful action. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. As we saw earlier. Now I said earlier that Adam's negle- Adam neglected his role to protect. And I want to expound on that. There are many who ask where Adam was when Eve was tempted by the devil. Some suppose that he was off somewhere else. He was busy doing something else in the garden and wasn't aware of what was happening. Yet the text seems to indicate that Adam was with Eve when she was tempted. We already noted how the serpent addressed both Adam and Eve when he said, You, you in the plural, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. We also read in verse 6, She also gave to her husband with her. Adam was with Eve. And yet Adam was not deceived by the serpent, but the woman was deceived. First Timothy 2 tells us this directly. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. It seems as though Adam may have paid no heed to the temptation of the serpent, and yet he did not protect Eve from that temptation. He abdicated his responsibility and opened himself up to temptation by the woman. Adam ate of the fruit, not for the serpent's sake, but for his wife's sake. Adam knew the serpent was wrong. He'd been told directly by God of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam knew that he should not eat the fruit that Eve gave him. And yet he still proceeded to do so. He desired to sin and so sinned. It did not matter all the things that he knew at the basic level. What we have happen here is that Adam valued the pleasure and desire of his wife over the pleasure and desire of God. Adam sinned here, not only in failing to protect Eve from the serpent, but also that he loved his wife more than God. And in his abdication of his God-given role, he opened himself up to this particular temptation. Adam had dealt with the serpent, as was his duty. He would not have been tempted by his wife into sin. You must also notice that Eve ceased to be a helper to Adam in giving him the fruit to eat. It was her duty as his wife to be a helper comparable to him, to support and help him in following the creation mandate. Yet rather than help, she enabled his fall. She should have upheld God's command and rebuked the serpent. She should have said, this is what my God has commanded. But instead... She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Genesis 3, then, not only records for us the fall of mankind into sin, but also paints a picture of the destruction of the beautiful institution of marriage, as God had assigned it, both 
husband and wife abdicated their roles in the marriage relationship and so they insisted, assisted the other in their sinful endeavors. And just like Adam and Eve, we are so often tempted to doubt the goodness of God's word. And we proceed to neglect our God-given roles, thinking there is a better way. We need to take heed from what we've just considered from Genesis 3. Neglect of these roles is sin and leads to more sin. Now, when God instituted marriage, he intended it for companionship. That's what we saw last week. This is for companionship. This was to be an intimate and joyful sharing between husband and wife, one working side by side with the other for the glory of God and the good of each other. The fall destroyed that companionship, and sin today continues to destroy that companionship. As a result of their joint sinfulness, the intimacy of the marriage relationship was shattered. Read in verse 7, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. After their sin, Adam and Eve were shrouded in shame and guilt. They could not be completely open with each other anymore. They could only look upon the other now with shame. They had to hide themselves from each other. And sin in marriage continues to have this effect. As sin comes up in marriage, there's a shattering of, of the union and communion that there is to be between husband and wife. As sin festers and grows, there is a loss of true companionship as each views the other with suspicion. The husband hides himself from his wife because of his sin. The wife hides herself from her husband because of her sin. Neither dealing with their sin because they put up the fig leaves of blame shifting to cover their own rotten self. And this loss of companionship is further seen when the Lord questioned Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve hid themselves, the Lord comes into the garden. And the Lord asks Adam, the head of the family, where are you? And we immediately notice a distinction here with what happened with the serpents. The Lord here intentionally first spoke with Adam, who was the head The serpent subtly went straight to the woman. And Adam, in response to the Lord's question, said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The Lord continued to question Adam. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? We notice here that while the Lord knew that Eve Lord, in his omniscience, knew that Eve ate first. He placed a great weight of responsibility upon Adam. He goes after Adam. Adam, what's happened here? Why are you hiding from, the, from me? Why are you hiding? Perhaps the saddest example here we have of the breach of the marital relationship was in Adam's response 
to the Lord's question. Adam said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Adam attempted to wiggle out of his responsibility as husband and leader. And he did that first by implicitly blaming God. The woman you gave me. And Adam explicitly blamed his wife. She gave me of the tree and I ate. Completely gone is Adam's joyful son that we considered last time. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. And now he's cast her aside. Thrown her to the side and said, She is a source of the problem. Stop asking me, ask her. The woman you gave to me. She gave me of the fruit, and I ate. Before was Adam's joy. Before was that beautiful union. Adam declaring this as bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And now there is disgust and disdain. Sin has shattered the joyful, intimate companionship between husband and and wife. As a consequence of their sin, Adam and Eve were judged by God. And with them all their posterity. The Lord had warned them that in the day that they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die. When they sinned, they and their prosperity died in a threefold way. First, they died spiritually. They could no longer do good. They were no longer able to choose that which was good. Instead, their wills were inclined to only sin continually. We see that from the get-go. Adam doesn't take responsibility. No, he blame shifts. And Eve does the exact same as well. She doesn't take responsibility. She blames the serpents. They died spiritually. Second, they are destined to die eternally. All those who remain in Adam apart from Christ will die the second death. They will be thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever. And third, they came under the curse of physical death. They will now be subject to physical disease and death. The Lord said, Genesis 3.19, the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. They died in a threefold way and cast all humanity into that threefold death. There are also, there were also, specific judgments given to them based upon their roles in the creation. The woman is specifically judged in her role as mother. We read in Genesis 3.16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. The woman had abused her calling to be Adam's helper. 
And so was punished in respect to that calling. The bearing of children, which was to be a joyous calling, would become a cause for much sorrow and danger. She, like Adam, would not be able to fulfill her role without pain. Adam would eat bread by the sweat of his face, fulfilling his calling to subdue the earth. And so, too, the woman would, with suffering, bear children. Lord told Adam, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. But the woman was also punished as wife. We read in verse 16, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The pain the woman would endure would be an inescapable one. She would continue to desire her husband amid pain, and this would perpetuate the pain and suffering and her desire for her husband. She would seek to control and take upon herself his authority. But her desire for her husband could also lead to her willingly placing herself under his cruel rule. And in doing so, she would neglect her calling to be his true companion and challenge his abuse of that role. A basic, there would be a destruction of God-given roles and sorrow brought to herself and her husband. But the man was also punished as husband. He was punished in terms of his, his role to, to subdue the earth. He was also punished as husband. He abdicated his responsibility to lead and protect his wife, and so he shall rule over the woman. This is not a positive statement. The man ruling over the woman here is a distortion of the biblical model. This is not biblical headship, but this is tyrannical rule. The husband would treat his wife as a slave, as something to be dominated and crushed, as something that he needs to use his authority to subdue. And so because of the fall, husband and wife would be locked together in a destructive cycle of desire and dominance. Rather than intimate companionship, there would be strife and despair. The fall of man into sin and brought about a very bleak picture of marriage. It corrupted it from a wonderful institution to one of sin and shame. The fall explains why the young couple who used to be blindly and madly in love suddenly hates each other and detests the other. The cause of that sorrow and grief, the cause of that breach in relationship is not the institution itself. But it's the fall of man into sin. Marriage is still a beautiful institution. But sin dominates man's thoughts and relationships. Once again, I state that sin in relationships comes about because of individual sin. Wife sins against her husband because of her sinful desires. Husband sins against wife because of his sinful desires. You need to be honest with yourself here. 
If there's sin in your marriage, you must look at yourself. You must not blame shift as Adam and Eve did in the garden. Do not allow yourself that false luxury. You must hold yourself out to be the worst of sinners. Your sin, your own sin, must be bitter to you. Thomas Watson said, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. You must view yourself as the worst of sinners. When it comes to your marriage, viewing yourself as the worst of sinners, you must see that there's no hope for your marriage to be found in your own wisdom. We see Adam and Eve immediately after the fall trying in their own wisdom to rectify the matter. They go and make uh, sew cloth, uh, clothes of, of fig leaves. And then they go try to, to justify the sin in the eyes of God. When God comes asking them about it, they're trying in their own wisdom to, to rectify it. But in doing so, they only brought greater sorrow and despair to themselves must place no hope in yourself. When you do place hope in yourself, you're just like Adam and Eve, trying to cover their shame with fig leaves. Fig leaves are a very temporary covering. covering. The leaves wither and die. It's like using uh, a piece of scotch tape to deal with a plumbing problem. There's no lasting help to be found there. It's only when you view yourself as a chief of sinners and place no hope in yourselves that you will understand and long for the glorious hope that the Lord gives in Genesis 3:15, when he cursed the serpent. The Lord said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Lord promised to provide a seed from the woman which would crush the head of the serpent. He promised to restore what had been broken. And this passage is the first gospel promise we have in all of Scripture. The promise of the seed is, is the promise of the Messiah. The promise of the Lord would provide His very own Son who ultimately would be victorious over the serpent's. The servant had won the initial victory over man, but the Lord would win the war for the sake of his precious creation. He would provide a seed that would have the power and ability to destroy man's greatest enemy. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, and at that last day, he will cast out the great dragon, that serpent of old, of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That's what we have foretold here in Genesis 3.15. Christ will accomplish the crushing of the head of the serpents. He will accomplish his great victory because he has the power to destroy the one who deceived man. Man came under the curse of death because of his sin, because he ate of the tree, yet Christ conquered death by rising from the dead on the third day. This victory would not be 
His victory of the seed would not be accomplished without cost. The heel of Christ would be bruised in his incarnation and crucifixion. The victory of Christ required the sacrifice of himself coming down on and taking on human flesh, being born of a woman, being made under the law, suffering and enduring the miseries and sorrows of this life, and being crucified, dead, and buried. The heel of Christ had to be bruised on account of your sin. That he willingly allowed his heel to be bruised that you might know the riches of his love. A love that, as we will see next week, endures for all eternity. A love that surpasses the love of marriage and endures longer than that of marriage. And is a love that undoes the curse. It undoes the curse not only of death, but the curse upon marriage and its role itself. The woman would have sorrow and childbearing, but ultimately Mary would bring forth the very Redeemer of the world. And so the woman is saved in childbearing. She is saved as the gospel works and is applied in every aspect of her life. The woman's desire would be contrary to her husband, but in the gospel, her desire becomes for the good of her husband, just as the church desires to submit herself to Christ. So when the gospel is applied to marriage, the wife desires to submit herself to her husband because she finds him to be lovely. The husband would tyrannically rule over his wife until the light of the love of Jesus shone in his heart. He would rule as a tyrant until he saw what true sacrificial love was. How Christ loved him, a great and awful sinner. And in response, he would love his wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. This seed of the woman would undo the curse. And that is the hope of the gospel for sin and marriage. And the question that comes to you this morning, whether you are married or single, whether you're going through difficult times in your marriage or not, is do you trust this seed? Do you trust in Jesus Christ? If you do trust in the seed, you have everlasting hope in Christ who is your victor. There is hope beyond belief for your marriage and for your life. There's a hope that comes through the humbling of self, the owning of your sinfulness, and the pleading of help from the Savior. So I urge you to plead His help today. For as we read in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father in our God, what a very sobering passage it is we have considered this morning. The fall of man into sin. Lord, as we consider this passage, we see our own sinfulness. Our own rising in rebellion against your good law. We see how our desires war against your desires. We see how 
the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh are indeed wicked and corrupt, especially how the pride of life, that pride that puts ourselves in your place, thinking that we know what is truly good for ourselves. Lord, we see how that is indeed destructive. Lord, we come before you confessing our sins and and believing and hoping in that seed of the woman who indeed has come and has come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he has gotten the victory over death and hell and has purchased for us a most excellent salvation. Lord, we pray that we would ever cling to this gospel, that we would ever cling to this good news in the midst of our sin in this world, in the midst of our sin in our marriages. Lord, that we would ever see Christ lifted up and exalted on high, that we might ever see his sacrificial love, that as we see that sacrificial love, we too in our relationships in this world would show forth that same sacrificial love. Father, we pray that you would bless our marriages, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.